Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Fun Man About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts on this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> all right, welcome to our 88th episode. We have a couple of announcements to make and then we're going to bring on our very special guest. First up, here in New York City, it is... Uh, very exciting time. All sorts of brewers are popping up out all, all over the place. We have more members in the New York City Brewers Guild than ever before. It has pretty much doubled and is close to tripling since last year. And we are having a fundraiser on Saturday, September 20th uh, for the guild called New York City Blocktoberfest. It's going to be on Waverly uh, outside Kelso. Uh, tickets work so insofar as you pay $10 to get in and then it's pay a la carte for your beers so you get full pours at $5 a piece the point is to raise money for the New York City Brewers Guild and to uh, which is behind running New York City Craft Beer Week or New York City Beer Week and so we're looking forward to a very exciting time this year a bunch of new things are going on we have a bunch of really great beers happening on Sunday and uh, we hope to see you there you can find information through nycbrewersguild.com um, it's actually NewYorkCityBrewersGuild.com now. Maybe both. You can do work. both, I think. Oh. Well, NewYorkCityBrewersGuild.com or NYCBG.com also forwards directly to the link. Yep. That's also, besides the fact that you're um, supporting the New York City Brewers Guild, which is a not-for-profit 501c7, it's also a great chance to get outside and enjoy this absolutely fantastic weather that we're having and drink some absolutely amazing local beers. That's right. Okay, so next up, as far as events in New York City go, is Brooklyn Wart, which is one of the premier homebrew competitions that's open to the public. It's going to be on Sunday, October 12th, in one of our about-to-open breweries, Three's Brewing, which is on Douglas Street in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Tickets are $45 per person. That'll get you a taste of 30 spectacular local homebrews. 30? Yeah. One plate That is food. a bargain for me. <laughs> and a chance to vote. It's uh, great because the 30 brewers that will be that are competing for over $1,000 in prize money. I will be there judging. I think I've judged for the past two or three years, and it's you, you will definitely drink some amazing, creative, delicious homebrews at this event. The other thing we want to give a big shout-out, because Chris and I are going to GABF, for the first time as for men about it this year, we will be attending the Thursday night and Saturday afternoon sessions. Mm-hmm. As well, we have bought tickets to Beers Made by Walking, which is put on partly by our friend Eric Steen. We've had him on the show before. This is an absolutely amazing project um, where he takes brewers out on hikes and they either forage for ingredients or they are inspired by what they see and experience out there. So there's a lot of great breweries that have participated in this and brewed a beer, especially for this um, 
Festival. It's going to be on Friday, October 3rd in Denver, Colorado. 12 to 4. Tickets are $40 and can be found at beersmadebywalking.com. There are some other great uh, events outside of the regular sessions also going on that week in Denver and the surrounding area. I know that Pines for Prostates has an absolutely fantastic uh, rare beer. I don't know if tickets are still available, but definitely if you're going to be in, in Denver during that time or you're going to GABF, definitely get involved in some of the other stuff that's going on. It's pretty fun. Both the Brooklyn Wart, both the the, uh, the beers made for walking, and also what's going on on Saturday at the New York City Brewers Guild party are all pushing the limits of what beer is. And I'd like to read a quote real quick. It's by a friend of ours. It says, we are inspired by those in the brewing community who are pushing the limits of what beer is. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for great brewers who came before us. We aspire to be an influential, influential force in craft brewing. And these are words of our guest, Patrick Rue. Patrick Rue, welcome wow. to the studio. Did I say that? You said that. Well, somebody <laughs> yeah. somebody says that on your website. <laughs> yeah. I think I typed that a long time ago. Still true. Still well, true. it's awesome. I think these events are, are kind of things that kind of are a testament to that. There's so much fun and so much creativity happening in the homebrewing community, in the brewing community, and led in large part by, by the stuff you're doing at, at uh, the brewery. Well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about how you started. So uh, my... Homebrewing for me, or actually making beer, started uh, my first year of law school, my wife, Rachel, said. I was annoying her, I think, with uh, complaining about how miserable I was, and she said, uh, how about you get a hobby? <laughs> <laughs> I think she expected me to take up knitting. Or, you know, I saw a guy knitting on the train the other day. That's, yeah. very, That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, very yeah. So I picked homebrewing, converted our garage uh, and a small apartment into a brewery. Um, I uh, struggled through and graduated law school, decided not to be a lawyer after uh, successfully failing the bar, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, started, uh, started up this small brewery in, uh, Orange County, California. That's, uh, it's been, been growing, been that's, open for six years now. That's awesome. Let's talk about that first brew though. And also in this same, or roughly before that paragraph where I just quoted you from, you talk about that first beer being a four day ferment. <laughs> and, and a very quick cold crash and like a two second force carb and drinking it. Yeah, your first <laughs> the first beer you make is so uh you're so excited, you know, you're you're dreaming about it. Uh you can't uh you can't wait to try that first sip. Um so I was taking gravity readings probably like every 8 hours. <laughs> if I like got down to the right, you know, right gravity yeah. where you might want to drink it. Uh it was very murky. There was Still little chunks of protein uh, floating around. Uh, my brother and I just kegged it up, put it in the, uh, well, essentially put it in the freezer. Uh, got the keg really cold, force carved it, rolled it along the garage floor to uh, yep. get the yep, carbonation yep, yep. in there, and, uh, and we started drinking it. That's fantastic. It, was it wasn't a, bad. It was a Cascade Amber. Yeah. Rumor yeah. has it. Yeah. Um, I love, uh, uh, it was a Mirapon Pale Ale from Deschutes. So. Yeah. It was a, a clone of that, except I thought I would add some, like, you know, C60, some caramel malt mm -hmm. uh, in there. I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. but That is where you started, but the, the brewery has taken on a different approach to brewing and stylistically. Uh, what is your philosophy on that and where you've gone with it? Well, uh, I, I think beer, uh, I think we often limit ourselves to styles and um, marketing terms and things like that. I, I think uh, beer is much more than than just those things. Um, so I look to the food world as, you know, where we can find ingredients and, uh, uh, really create some interesting flavors. Uh, often, uh, we're very uh, focused on our yeast because those are 
develop amazing flavors that you can't get through. Uh, and you know, just adding ingredients. Mm-hmm. It's really cool esters and phenols, and um, uh, and then we looked. Uh, you know, if we can find some really unusual fruits or vegetables, or you know, coconuts are a lot of fun. Coffee is a lot of fun. Yeah. So we uh, we try not to bore ourselves by making the same beers over again. Uh, so yeah. And we're in a we're in a seasonal time coming up. Is autumn maple? What is the autumn maple? So autumn maple is a uh, essentially a Belgian style brown ale, about ten percent ABV that we add uh, yams to. So in the mash, you add yams in the mash. Yeah, so we roast oh, right. yams, add that in the mash, um, and then kind of spice it like a traditional pumpkin uh, beer. So yams to me taste an awful lot. Well, I think yams taste better than pumpkins personally. Damn, um, pumpkins don't taste much at all, I would argue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie, I think, are very similar mm-hmm. flavors, um, mm-hmm. except sweet potato pie is better. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, but nice, uh, fun beer for winter. Or, not winter. Fall. Fall, yeah. Fall. But you can save it till winter. A lot sure. of your beers can be saved. Yep. And, and age well. Absolutely. I think you guys, I mean... You're very well known, very well known, especially, I mean, you're a much bigger brewery now than when you started, but you've been very well known. You've had almost a cult following since the early days. And looking at, you know, your year round collection of beers, they're all, well, you don't have anything except for the Hot and Roth, which was probably one of the first American made Berliner Weisses that yeah. was commercially available. I think that, that beer probably introduced a lot of American craft beer drinkers to the style of Berliner Weiss. Yeah, I think um, we were really early on having a bottled uh, Berliner Weiss yep. uh, nodding head over in Philly. Uh, has been making Berliner Weisses for a long time. So Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah, But one that you know people could pick up at the store and, and drink at home, um, yeah. as well as out at draft, at, you know, on draft and in bottles and at bars. Um, the other thing is, I mean, you're, like, if you look at your collection, you have a Danish-style rye ale, a you know, German-style Berliner Weiss-style um, wheat beer. You've got Oak-aged American red ale, and then your Belgian-French style farmhouse ale brewed with rye. So all very interesting, unusual beers to have as year-round beer. Yeah, we uh, we don't have that many year-round beers right now. It's just Mischief and uh, Saison Roux okay. uh, that we'll distribute year-round. And we like to focus on our uh, barrel-aged specialties and uh, non-barrel-aged seasonals to kind of fill in those gaps. But um, yeah, as I said before, we get bored really easily. Yeah. But <laughs> when you're in a lot of chain accounts, you know, you always need mischief or you always need a few year rounds to keep a steady placement on the shelf. Right, right. No doubt. But those, even your, even your year round stuff is very unusual and, you know, obviously delicious, but not your normal run of the mill IPA or pale ale or kind of things that most breweries have. So yeah. I think you, you guys Weird. really kind of, yeah, but. <laughs> I think a lot more breweries are looking to do that kind of thing. I mean, to set themselves as being different. You guys have been doing that a long time. So I think it's fantastic. You have introduced palettes to all kinds of stuff that I think people wouldn't have normally been introduced to. Wow. So Thank you. Let's talk about uh, your barrel. Because you, you guys at one time had the most number of barrels in the country. That might have been edged out recently. But you definitely are probably top five as far as number of barrels. So what are you guys doing with your barrels? Yeah, no one's really keeping track of that number. Yeah. Account, but, <laughs> it's become uh, more difficult now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's definitely a source of pride for us. We um, so we make both uh, strong, uh, you know, bourbon barrel aged, rye whiskey barrel aged beers, um, and then we also make a lot of sour beers, uh, aging typically uh, uh, wine barrels. So we have uh, we've currently about thirty two hundred barrels filled uh, worth of beer. So that's about fifty percent of our production every year goes through a barrel. 
and uh, I think we have room right now for about 5,000 barrels. So we're with our new expansion, we're uh, also growing our uh, barrel-age specialties, and I'm excited. <laughs> what do you think some of the learnings has been as far as your barrel-aging program over the years? Um, I think uh, making a small amount of uh, beers and selling them through our memberships first as like a, a testing ground. Do people actually like this beer before you go like full on and do a few hundred barrels of it? Uh, so that was a good. That's a good lesson. Um, how big is that? Is that program? And how does it work? How does one become part of it? Uh, it's uh, about two thousand. Well, let's see. No. Sorry, let me go turn turn back. Uh, so we have uh, the Reserve Society, which is our most popular one. Uh, it's a yearly club, um, so you pay about $295 a year to be a member. That comes with uh, about that uh, value in beer and merch, and then you can order through our website, order um, about probably another 60 beers throughout the year, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are only made for our club members. Um, so it's great. We have you know, a great local uh, or loyal following uh, pretty much all over the country, but um, uh, most in California because they can actually pick, pick it, up it up or yeah. right. have it shipped to them in California where we can't ship out of state. Right. right. And then we have the Hoarder Society, which is an invite-only uh, club, uh, so I won't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Preservation Society, which acts more like a wine club, uh, quarterly shipments of three bottles. And it's they don't it's whatever you guys want to send them, yeah. Or do they pick? exactly? Yeah. yeah. So we'll send them typically one sour beer, one uh, special uh, that's made for our preservation society. So it's uh, kind of a one-off, and then a strong uh, you know barrel-aged beer. Cool. And this program is is cool for a number of reasons, especially if you're a startup. I feel like because it gives you some cash up front to be dealing with, but also as just a sensory analysis and getting feedback on on potentially year-round beers or, or yeah. beers that you want to send out to more things. I think it's a cool, these things are awesome to have. Yeah, it's been great. Cash usually comes in around October, November. We have our expansions typically starting in February. So we uh, we use that money to uh, just keep making ourselves better. Right. All right, right. We're going to take a very quick break. Thanks right. for listening from Menabat. program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
Welcome back to Fomet About It, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is our 88th episode, and we're here in the studio. Very lucky to have Patrick Rue from the brewery in the studio, in-house with us. Yeah. So what are you doing here in New York? (laughs) (laughs) How are we gifted this pleasure? Yep. Um, I'm doing uh, some events around town, so tonight I'll be at... uh, Ginger Man. Ginger Man, yeah. Yeah. So we have our our largest uh, collection of taps that we have ever had outside of our own brewery and even i think it's 40 taps and we have crazy we have 40 tap lines at our brewery so it's uh it's people to whatever we've done uh it'll be crazy how did how did getting those to new york uh work out or or have have they been hoarded over the the time (laughs) it's been distributed here it's kind of special one-offs no we we have a pretty large uh keg archive so we try to keep some of our special beers that we think are going to hold on for a while yeah and do awesome events like this. Speaking of hold on for a while, I had one of my favorite uh, memories occur uh, in recent, or favorite experiences of your beer in recent memory. Uh, just about five days ago, I was on a boat in, uh, it was like very late at night. I'm out Catalina Island and we opened up a 2009 Black Tuesday and it was like everything was right in the world. That had, uh, had been around a very long time and it aged beautifully. Uh, a lot of your beers aged very well. Um, what sort of quality control are you doing uh, there? And, you know, experimenting so much with, with barrels and with different ingredients, you know, determining shelf life is a challenging thing. Yeah. So we've put a lot of effort into expanding our quality efforts. We currently have two, uh, two people who work in our lab uh, where uh, every batch is being tested for uh, essentially things that we don't want in there, such as right. lactobacillus or pediococcus. We want those in our sour beers. We don't want those in our uh, non-sour beers. So pretty much every step along the way is uh, is tested, and uh, we can make decisions on beers based on what happens. But being a brewery that makes both clean and uh, sour beers uh, opens ourselves up to uh, sure. some more problems than the average brewery would have. Um, but, yeah, not other cool analytical tools like uh, an alkalizer and uh, – uh, you know, CO two meters and things like that. So that's those are w- fun toys to have. Yeah, <laughs> kind of geek out. I don't know how to use anything. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys? Do you have recommendations for for people that are aging your beers? Yeah. Um, so I, I would say our sour. Well, our sour beers with fruit. I like to drink those sooner than later because the fruit tastes so good when it's fresh, and then it's going to fade, and um, yeah, you're left with more of that base beer flavor rather than that fruit influence for our strong beers let's say anything above like 15 percent. i think that's great to age for you know up to five years in most cases some sometimes there's exceptions like uh, we make a beer called mocha wednesday which is essentially black tuesday with coffee and coconuts the coffee flavor is one of those things that's uh, so delicious fresh and then yeah. when it ages it's not as good um so yeah a lot of our beers are really great to age uh say our sour beers without fruit um I don't think that they improve all that much with age, but they don't change very much with age. So if you want to keep a piece of history or, uh, you know, I guess not history, but (laughs) if you want to hoard and want it to still taste good, it will still taste good. And then beers like Mischief um, don't generally get better with age. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. fairly hoppy and it's really great the day that we bottle it and um, still tastes great a few months later, but uh, probably at its peak uh, shortly after it arrives on the shelf. How about your namesake, Saison Rue? Oh, Saison is great to age. Uh, that bread just keeps keeps developing flavor. Um, some of my favorite examples are about three years of age. So yeah. Crack it then. Cool. Uh, I know we've talked, we actually 
we did a, a faux uh, radio show before we ended up here on Heritage Radio Work, something that never made it to air, and we talked about how you made the Hottenroth at the time. Uh, uh, and everybody's got their own way of making uh, Berliner Weisses. And what is your method? So uh, we've tried a few different ways, but the way that works well for us, uh, 70% unmalted wheat, so not very uh, German in that respect. 30% base malt um, and no sour mash. Uh, we will um, hop it in the mash. So very sp- you hop it in the mash? Yeah, a very sparingly amount of Streisel spalt hops, which mm-hmm. are super low alpha acid. We'll boil for 15 minutes. Um, it'll go into a fermenter with lactobacillus uh, or uh, yeast, more of a neutral strain yeast, uh, ale yeast. Um, At the same time? Yep. So not lacto first and then and then ale yeast? No. Nope. Just a blend immediately straight off? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then um, also some uh, Britannomyces as well. Oh. And that'll generally take uh, 35 to 40 days in the fermenter to uh, uh, making those beers. They develop a lot of uh, hydrogen sulfide, so uh, let, that, let that let that vent off. off and sure. <laughs> What uh, what temperature generally are you doing that with? Because you've got a, a blend of lacto and, and LU strain. You don't want to be too high, but you don't want to be too low for the lacto. Or yeah, I, I think we start out at sixty eight degrees, mm-hmm. and then if we see fermentation getting a little slower, we'll continue to raise the temperature probably up to about seventy five to allow it to complete its fermentation. Yeah, yeah. and then you're, are you bottle con- bottle conditioning that beer? Yep, yep, absolutely. So you bottle condition most of your big beers. Is that true? Uh, anything up to 10%, uh, we generally bottle condition. Um, anything above that, you know, 10 to 12%, we'll try to do partial bottle condition, partial force carb, or sometimes tank conditioning, just allowing uh, fermentation to happen in the tank and having it capped off. Um, we find that, you know, well, we don't want to risk having flat beer out there, so we um, uh, will force carb when we don't aren't confident that it's not going to carbonate still using, on its own. Right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, we make some big beers. You know, Black Tuesday this year is 19.7%. There's no, the yeast is not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeast is not going to be happy in that. That's yeah. true. And that is a delicious beer. <laughs> so let's talk about something new that's coming up. You're launching the brewery Turo, right? Uh, Turo. Turo. I mispronounced that's it. Okay. Once again, I just asked him when we were at break. And, um, <laughs> so that's going to happen next year, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we are uh, essentially. Uh, installing fermentation and packaging over at our sour warehouse so that it's somewhat of a self-contained unit. We're bringing word in from our brewery, and then the rest of the process happens at that place. So we thought it would be a good opportunity to let folks know what we're doing, uh, that it's, you know, these beers, we make a lot of different beers. So uh, we off, people are often confused. Are we a sour brewery? Are we a strong ale brewery? Are we, you know, what are we, a Belgian-style brewery? Um, so I think this makes it a little more clear. Yeah. Yeah. This brand is for our wild and funky stuff. And uh, we're going to continue to, you know, expand our uh, offerings in that respect. And then uh, on the original side, you know, here's where the focus is here. So I think it allows for us to um, get our staff uh, specialized in um, a certain type of beer. Right now we're, mm-hmm. you know... We know uh, a lot of, or a little bit about a lot, if that makes sense. <laughs> yep. We're kind yeah. of we're generalists. Uh, we're, I'd like to develop some specialty within uh, within the company, and uh, we'll get a tasting room uh, over at that location that's going to focus on um, those uh, wild and funky beers. That'll be awesome. Great. So it'll be easier for beer cons- craft beer consumers to identify. Hey, this is you know sour, probably sour wild offering, and this is your traditional either barrel-aged and or not sour offering or not buggy offering, right? The brewery you're going to keep with barrel-aging and, and all of your no- 
not wild yeast and <laughs> funk, right? Not sour, right. <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's great. Yeah, should be good. You mentioned staff. How many staff do you have now? I think we're around 55 employees. And you also mentioned that in October, November, kind of that's when you do your planning or your expansion-ish kind of thing. So this is the next expansion uh, project to be working on. Yeah, you know our for our expansion started in February of this year, mm-hmm. and uh, it won't start stop until uh, probably July of uh, 2015. So there's a lot of dust and a lot of uh, construction going on, and a lot of money being spent. Sure. <laughs> <No doubt. laughs> So you will be pouring at GABF this year. Yeah. And um, so how many how many years have you guys poured at GABF? Boy, uh, I think this will be our sixth year. Cool. And what do you what do you what are your favorite things about GABF? The whole experience, either from you know, obviously from a an owner of a brewery, but yeah, I love uh, exploring breweries that I've never had the opportunity to try before. Uh, you know, seeing old friends, uh, making new friends. Uh, it's uh, you know, everybody is there just to have a great time and uh, be really uh, friendly with each other. And yeah. it's an awesome and place to be. I will say that even though that the GBF is sold out at this point for the year, what it does is it brings together the community and a friend, making new friends, seeing old friends. And the things that surround the GBF uh, event itself are all, all worth doing and being there in town for. Yeah, if you didn't get tickets, uh, just going to denver during that exactly. time oh, yeah, and you will not be bored no yeah. not at all and I th- you know there's always people that end up not going not being able to go at the last minute so yep. it's entirely possible that you will still be you able to obtain it. tickets yeah still scalpers out there yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know all kinds of people on the internet that are just happy to to find their ticket at new home <laughs> um so what else is going on that you're excited about patrick Boy, uh, we're installing a new bottling line right now. That's a very, uh, um, uh, I don't know, it's very complicated. <laughs> sure, <laughs> bottle, bottle conditioning is not the easiest thing in the world. And what was the learning curve on, on doing that? Because there weren't many people, especially in the United States, doing much bottle conditioning. Yeah, bottle conditioning is really, um, it's dependent from yeast strain to yeast strain. So uh, our yeast strain... Um, we actually have to add a little less uh, dosing sugar than you know what you'd read in like a homebrew book, or um, so it's really high attenuation. So I think we learned that in our first uh, few batches of beer back in 2008. We uh, had a lot of overcarbonated beer, but luckily we have you know very thick champagne bottles. Yeah, so nothing yeah. exploded. But um, yeah, it's something you have to learn, and um, just uh, being able to dose the right amount of uh, sugar for the know you know what your beer volume is and know how your yeast is going to react to it. But uh, yeah, the new bottling system we have we've been using that Mahin bottling line, which bottles four bottles at a time. It's right. really simple. Right. It's a really great. I think it's you know the best uh, bottling line for uh, startup brewers. Um, but uh, moved to uh, Crohn's uh, Cosme system that is about. I don't know, maybe a hundred times larger than our, (laughs) (laughs) everything is like, you know, made into a, uh, even like the capper, you know, used to be like a five pound, uh, you know, little device that's, that's hanging there. And now it's like, a you know, 10,000 pound (laughs) thing. So it's interesting. Space takes up space. Space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe takes up, uh, it's in probably 75 square feet. And this one takes up about, um, 2,500 square feet. Yep, yep. <laughs> Small apartment. What Big are one. some of your favorite beers that you've done over the years? Or most memorable beers? Boy. Um, 
well, we make a uh, beer called Humios Lager, so that uh, satiates my hop uh, needs. That's a year-round beer, right? Yeah, year-round, yeah. draft only. So essentially, uh, we it's an IPA recipe, let's say, with about 10% rice and a lager yeast. So I think lager yeasts are really uh, compatible with hoppy beers because the cold fermentation keeps all those hops that you added during the boil and in the whirlpool still in your beer. Right. Like when you smell an IPA fermenting, it smells awesome. All you know, all, you can smell all those hops, and all those hops are not making its way into that final yeah. beer. What you're smelling is all that aroma escaping. Exactly. <laughs> not staying around. Yeah. Yeah. So I love uh, love that beer. Um, you know, I, I make we make so many <laughs> so many fun beers. Uh, Hot and Roth is certainly a favorite, uh, and you know Black Tuesday when it comes out, I'm always really excited. So, uh, some beers are you know great to just have a few times a year, and that would be one of them. And you know, you're just very excited when they come out, and then uh, you'll try it again next year. <laughs> yeah, my friend has a quote, or he he talks about how beers beers sometimes like women, where you know you have your one night stands and your long term relationships. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got your taste. I've been married for too long. <laughs> Good answer. I've lost my manhood. Good comment. <laughs> Love to Rachel. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have on this episode of Fomenting About It. Any, yeah. last, any final words, Mary? No, I was going to say we'll be back next week with Danielle and Benjamin from Brooklyn Homebrew. We're going to be talking about the upcoming Brooklyn Wart as well as all kinds of fun fermentation projects that they've been doing and what you should be brewing for fall and early winter. I'm fresh back from Yakima, Washington for Hop Harvest. I'll talk more about that next week. Super excited about the experience. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's, thank uh, you, guys. We love what you do and, and uh, keep up the good work. And I can't wait to uh, imbibe with you this evening at the Ginger Man. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. For men about it over here. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.